Afternoon, how are we all doing? Good, nice and uh, warm, isn't it? And we brought these fans for you because now I can stand here and speak for an hour, is that right? <laughs> so, it is so good to be here with you this afternoon and um, just to share God's word with you. Uh, but first of all, I just want to thank you all for your prayers and uh, regarding my injury and God has been really gracious, and it's really healing nicely. And I'm feeling, I actually went for a bike ride the other day, so I'm sure that's a good sign, you know, in regards to that. So, But it, it is great to be able to come and teach a psalm with you today. I, I, I love the psalms, and it's quite interesting. I was just thinking as we were sitting there, and Kevin was speaking this morning about things, and I don't discuss with Kevin what I'm going to preach about, and Kevin doesn't, you know, it's not like we go, oh, well, this is what I'm going to do, so if you could just, you know... It's just amazing how the Lord sometimes works that way because this is what I wanted to start by saying is that psalms are songs, you know. We said that this morning. I always think of the psalms as the songs of life, you know, because we go through all sorts of moments in life, times of trouble, times of repentance, times of praise and worship, and those are all in the psalms. We see Paul talk about this in Ephesians 5 verse 19, which says, Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. So Paul instructs us to sing psalms to one another. But before I begin with the psalm, I just want to share with you something else today. I just, it's an article that I've read by uh, Marvin Ulaski and from Desiring God. And I, I, I read it regularly, you know, at least maybe once a fortnight. And it's titled How to Brave the News, but I'm going to be summarizing here from, you know, from the whole thing. So in 1985, when Neil Postman wrote Amusing Ourselves to Death, the threat was that we could live frivolous lives and die laughing. Postman died in 2003 when 24-7 cable news channels were elbowing past the previous era of game shows and sitcoms. Since then... The torrent, augmented by Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook, has become a flood. Postman's concern about escapism is still important, but here's a question for the presence. Will we die crying or at least anxious? Thankfully, though, the Bible offers a better approach to the constant stream of bad news coming at us today. Four Psalms, in particular, have helped wade through the brokenness of the news without drowning. So number one, I don't occupy, don't occupy yourself with the news. Psalm 131 from the first part of 1 to 2 says, Neither do I concern myself with great matters, nor with things too profound for me. Surely I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with his mother. Now, the great matters and profound things, they can include theological realities sometimes, but we can also apply this to the news. The Bible does not tell us to avoid big news from around the world. It tells us not to be occupied or concerned with it. Number two, realize where your only hope lies. Psalm 73 verse 24 and 25 says, You will guide me with your counsel and afterwards receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside you. When sensational news makes it hard to be calm and quiet, it's time to read the Bible and take comfort in God's guidance, God's promises, and God's uniqueness. Number three, 
keep up with God's news among man's news. Psalm 92 verse 5 to 7 says, O Lord, how great are your works. Your thoughts are very deep. A senseless man does not know, nor does a fool understand this. When the wicked spring up like grass, and when all the wicked workers of iniquity flourish, it is that they may be destroyed forever. Long ago, Augustine said, if you believe what you like in the gospel and reject what you don't like, it's not the gospel you believe, but yourself. Today, we might say that if we're more desperate to keep up with the news than to keep up with the Bible, it's not the gospel we trust, but our Facebook feed. (laughs) Number four, last point, observe the testimony of depravity. Psalm 19, verse 1 to 2 says, the heavens declare the glory of God. And the firmament shows his handiwork, day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. Today, our 24-7 news services pour out speech, but they do not glorify God. The Bible teaches that when man turns away from God, he acts like a beast. And that beastliness will show itself sometimes in awful crimes that we see. We do not want to dwell on them, but we cannot ignore them either. For if man... Without God is not beastly, then Christ's sacrifice for us was unnecessary. If we believe these promises and keep reminding ourselves of them, we can hear the news without being occupied by it. We can remember where our only hope lies. We can care more about God's news than man's news. And we can look at depravity without being swallowed by it. In other words, we can stand upright in the information age. So I just wanted to share that article with you. It's a lot longer, I promise. I could have stayed the whole hour and said, but uh, I just wanted to, I I just think it's just so relevant today and just thinking of the Psalms, they're so important. So moving on to the text for today, and we're going to be looking at Psalm 24, as already said. I'm actually going to be reading the text from the um, Legacy Standard Bible, because I really think it emphasizes the greatness and awesomeness of this Psalm. So let's read. The earth is Yahweh's, as well as its fullness the world and those who dwell in it for he has found it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers who may ascend into the mountain of Yahweh and who may rise in his holy place he who has innocent hands and a pure heart who has not lifted up his soul to worthlessness and has not sworn deceitfully he shall lift up a blessing from Yahweh and righteousness from the God of his salvation This is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face. Pay heed, O Jacob. Selah. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? Yahweh, strong and mighty. Yahweh, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift yourselves up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is he, this king of glory? Yahweh of hosts. He is the king of glory. Selah. Let's pray together. I have to drop something. It's part of my my ritual thing. Sorry. Put that there. (laughs) Let's pray. Sorry. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this day. I thank you, Lord, that I can come before you and share your word. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, that your word is righteous and holy. I pray, Father, you'll just use me as a vessel for your Holy Spirit to teach your truth, to share your truth with the church body of Christ, that it will be uplifting and edifying and convicting for those who need it. I thank you. Work through me. 
and through me and not by myself in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I just wanted to start off by giving you a a brief background of this psalm. So for those in your Bible, you can see it's written by David. It should all say to you, a psalm of David. Okay. Many scholars believe that it was written at a time when David brought the ark to Jerusalem. So as recorded in 2 Samuel 6. And I'd like us all to turn there if we can. So it's going to be a right turn, left turn, sorry, from where you are in Psalms to 2 Samuel chapter 6. I'm going to be reading from verses 12 down to 19. So it says, now it was told King David, saying, the Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the home of Obed-Edom to the city of David with gladness. And so it was when those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six paces that he sacrificed oxen and fatted sheep. Then David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. Now as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and whirling before the Lord, and she she despised him in her heart. So they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place in the midst of the tabernacle, that David had erected for it. Then David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. Then he distributed him among all the people, among the whole multitude of Israel, both the women and the men, to everyone a loaf of bread, a piece of meat, and a cake of raisins. So all the people departed, everyone to their house. So you can see here from this text that this was a very joyous occasion. And many believe that David wrote this psalm at that time of when the ark would have been brought into Jerusalem. So, And it it makes sort of sense, doesn't it, when when, when you've read through the psalm and you hear this event of David and David dancing and shouting before the Lord. And you can just imagine because this was a song. I don't know exactly how the song goes in the psalm. I don't know what the tune would have been. I'm sure we can make one up. But you you can just imagine David dancing down the street, praising the Lord. Here comes the ark, you know. Who is the Lord of hosts? Praise the Lord. He made all those things. He was just singing and dancing as he brought this into Jerusalem. Obviously, we know Saul's daughter despised him because she wasn't happy with all this, you know. But David didn't care. He didn't care what people thought of him this time, you know. You know, there's there's more to that story that continues on in, you know, and maybe one day we could do that in another study. But, uh, yeah, so this, this was a joyous occasion. According to uh, Warren Wearsby, um, this song was actually, after it was written, sung in Herod's temple every Sunday, basically the first day of the week. And some even say that it was sung when Jesus entered into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. So interesting with the uh, bit of background on there. Today, many Christians uh, associate this um, psalm with um, Ascension Day as well. Yeah, so... Just a few things there. Okay. When we're looking at this psalm, though, I just want to sort of 
I think this we can break it into three sort of parts. So that's what I'm going to do today. And the first part, verses one to two, it says, The earth is Yahweh's as well as its fullness, the world and all those who dwell in it. For he has found it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. So here we can see that the Lord created the earth as well as everything and everyone around and upon it. This can be linked back to the accountants in Genesis 1 and 2. And although this psalm is poetry, because these are the books of the poetry, and it's not scientific theology like you might get from Genesis, you can use Genesis scientific theology, but this is a poem. But we know that David, he proclaims this, and he would have believed this as well because of what Moses had taught in Genesis and in the law. And in Exodus 19, verse 5, it says, Now therefore you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant. Then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. So this was already back in Exodus that, you know, Moses um, had written this. We also see Abraham, though, confirming this in his encounter with the king of Sodom in Genesis 14.22. But Abraham said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord, God most high, the possessor of heaven and earth. And this is quite interesting because as Abraham declared this truth before God, this was before a point that God had actually established or promised Abraham that, you know, there would be an Israel and those people. So this was the time of Melchizedek, actually, that this was done. And by the time, though, when you go forward and you think about the time that Jesus enters Jerusalem, so they sang this song in the temple, in Herod's temple, on that Palm Sunday. But the religious leaders, they did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. They did not believe that Yahweh is the God of the Gentiles as well as the Jews. They believed he was exclusively the God of the Jews, you know, and there was no way that they were going to share it with any of the Gentiles. There was no way that Jesus was the Messiah because their hearts were filled with wickedness and bigotry. Yeah. What a jump when you look at across, you know, those those years from Abraham all the way to the time of Jesus, how the Jewish people changed. If we think of us today, though, we can gladly proclaim that Yahweh is the Lord of all the earth and all who dwell in it. And we are stewards who enjoy his goodness in creation. We can just think, you know, this beautiful sunshiny day that we can go out, we can enjoy his creation. Timothy, 1 Timothy 6 verse 17 says, Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. You see, God has given us this earth to enjoy. Clarence Benson called the earth the theater of the universe. For in it, the Lord demonstrated his love in what Dorothy Sayers called the greatest drama ever staged. That being that, Jesus, that the Father sent his one and only Son to die for us, that we may have eternal salvation. I just think, how sad is it today in this country that one served God and has the words of this psalm. This is the um, Royal Temple, uh, the London Royal Exchange, sorry, in, in London. And it has the words of this psalm. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof engraved on it. This country that once, you know, served God and proclaimed this today has become as hard-hearted and bigoted as the religious leaders in the times of Jesus. 
So, verse 2 gives us the reason why the earth is the Lord's. Because he created it. So just as today, any inventor who would proclaim to own the rights of their invention or creation, even more so does the Lord have the right of ownership of his creation. The earth and everything and everyone that exists. I also find these verses also extremely encouraging in light of what I spoke about a bit earlier in regards to dealing with the news. What more encouragement do we need than to know that our sovereign Heavenly Father is in control even amidst the turmoil in this world? Just another side note on these first two verses I'd like to talk about. Paul actually quotes verse 1 in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 25 to 26, and it says, Eat whatever is sold in the meat market, asking no questions for consciousness' sake, for the earth is the Lord and all its fullness. Here he was talking about the liberty to be able to eat all things without being worried about where they had come from. The second section I want to look at is verses 3 to 6, and it says, Who may ascend into the mountain of Yahweh, and who may rise in his holy place? He who has innocent hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to worthlessness, and has not sworn deceitfully, he shall lift up a blessing from Yahweh, and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, pay heed, O Jacob, Selah. Now these four verses, when I was going through them, there's so many nuggets in there. I could have probably done a whole sermon just on these four verses. There's so much there. But due to the heat, I tried to, I decided to condense it a bit. So I just, um, bef- I want to look at Psalm 15. If we can just turn from, if you're back in Psalm 19, just Psalm 24, sorry. So Psalm 15 is just a short turn there. And this is actually a parallel text to this psalm. And I just want to read that with you. It's only five verses, so it's a short one. It says, Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle? Who may dwell in your holy hill? He who walks uprightly and works righteousness and speaks the truth in his heart. He who does not backbite with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor does he take up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but he honors those who fear the Lord. He who swears to his own hurt and does not change, he who does not put out his money at usury, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent, he who does these things shall never be moved." So we can see here in both Psalms, in Psalm 15 and in Psalm 24, that there is an emphasis on going up to the Lord. You saw that in verse 15, verse 1. It says, Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle, who may dwell in your holy hill? Uh, It talks about going up to the Lord. In in Psalm 24, we see that. It says, who may ascend into the righteous hill of the Lord, you know? And this is because why? Because our Father God reigns in heavenly places. You know, and Jesus sits on the throne for him. Yes, God is everywhere, but when we think of God, we know that He reigns in the heavens, doesn't He? He reigns above, and we always, you know, how many times we sing it in songs, don't we? We lift up our hands, you know, we raise our voices. You know, how, I'm sure many of you, maybe when you pray or when you sing to God, how many of you look up, you know, and just because that's where we imagine God to be, didn't we? Just reigning above us. So here's the question. Who may ascend into his holy place? Now, John MacArthur says that this question would have likely been asked by the priests of the time. 
when they were singing, the priest would have sang that. Who may ascend into the holy place? Then the worshippers would have responded in song with answers, maybe such as verse 4, or as maybe the whole of Psalm 15. That's how they would have answered in song. So, interestingly enough, even though Israel was under the law, they still understood that it was by faith in the high priest and in the tabernacle that people could be ent- would be able to enter into the holy place of God. There was, there was some faith involved in that, you know, for the people. Even the high priest himself had to have faith when he went into the holy of holies. He couldn't just enter there because it was the law, <laughs> you know. Now, here's the thing. If I have to ask you, who may ascend into the mountain of Yahweh? Hands up if you have innocent hands and a pure heart. No? Some of you might think, well, all of you will think, well, that rules me out then. <laughs> but here's the thing, see. Now, who wrote this psalm? David, yes? We say, it's a psalm of David. Did he have innocent hands and a pure heart? No. He committed adultery and murder, and he desired evil in his heart. Yet, this was a man who was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he knew that God was full of grace and mercy. In Psalm 51, verse 1 and 2, we see David confess his sin. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. In Psalm, 20, in Psalm 32, we see David proclaim the joy of forgiveness in verses 1 and 2. It says, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Now David, being a man after God's own heart and filled with the Holy Spirit, knew that he could go up to the holy place of God. In verse 5, we look at the consequences of being forgiven. It says, he shall lift up a blessing from Yahweh and righteousness from the God of his salvation. And I just think back a bit last week when Kevin was sharing from Psalm 1, and he talked about blessed is the man, you know. And I believe this is the same blessing, you know. This is the blessing you receive. It is a blessing to be filled with the righteousness that comes from the God of our salvation. That is the true blessing. We see in Ezekiel 36, 26 and 27, which says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will keep my judgments and do them. Now, we recently did Hebrews 8 a few weeks back with Pastor Kevin. And in verse 10 of Hebrews 8, it says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts. I shall be their God and they shall be my people. Now, I understand that both these scriptures refer to the covenant that God is making with Israel. But yet, as we've studied, as Gentiles, we are grafted into those promises. And because it says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, we have the same promise. Now, verse 6, it says to seek the face of God. This is actually to have an audience before him. That's what it means to seek the face of God. And because of the cleansing blood of Jesus, we are able 
As it says in Hebrews 4 verse 16, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. A few weeks ago, I shared my testimony with you. And I shared with you about how I lived a life that had involved having very unclean hands and a very evil heart. But yet through the saving grace of my Lord Jesus, I can stand here before you cleansed and righteous and being used by God to share God's word with you. And because as Revelation says in chapter 12, 11, and they overcome him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. You see, you all have a testimony. You could all, if you were asked, get up here and give a testimony about your life being changed before Jesus. That is the word of your testimony, that your heart has been changed, that you, you, you were evil, but now you've been saved by the precious blood of the Lamb. So again, I would ask, who may stand in his holy place? Who has innocent hands and a pure heart? And with boldness, those of you who know Jesus as their Savior can put your hands up and say, yes, it is me. Yeah? The end of verse 6, we see the word selah. You've probably seen that in the Psalms a few times. It's also at the end of this in verse 10. What does that word mean? Well, they haven't really come up with a meaning, and there's difference of opinions from different scholars of what it means. One of the most common agreements, though, what it might mean is to pause and contemplate. The, the classic amplified version of the Bible, actually, when you read through it, actually adds in brackets, pause and think of that every time the word Selah appears in the Bible. I believe that makes some sense. And as these psalms were sung, whenever we see Selah, it probably meant a pause in the congregation singing and just the instruments continuing, you know, like the instruments slowly playing and they would have paused and contemplated what had just been sung the words and i think that's really that makes sense when you think of these you know the psalm and just to pause and think about what god is saying to us so looking at the final section of this psalm from verse 7 to 10 it says lift up your heads o gates and be lifted up o ancient doors that the king of glory may may come in who is this king of glory yahweh strong and mighty Yahweh, mighty in battle, lift up your heads, O gates, and lift yourselves up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is he, this King of glory? Yahweh of hosts. He is the King of glory, Selah. Here we see the mention of gates and ancient doors being lifted up. Now, into regards to when David actually wrote this, and we also mentioned that it was probably written during the time of the ark return into Jerusalem. Now, David and men in the Old Testament, they knew, they knew that God couldn't be contained in a box. Moses knew that because he had met the Lord, you know, he couldn't even look upon him. And yet much of Israel imagined God was just in this box. This, this is God. He's in this box. And we see this even in Numbers uh, chapter 10, verse 33 to 36. And it says, it's a few verses. It says, so they departed from the mountain of the Lord on a journey of three days. And the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord went before them for the three days' journey to search out a resting place for them. And the cloud of the Lord was above them by day when they went out from the camp. So it was whenever the Ark set out that Moses said, Rise up, O Lord, let your enemies be scattered, and let those who hate you flee before you. 
And when it rested, he said, return, O Lord, to the many thousands of Israel. So the ark went out and God was like, go and get the enemies. This goes the ark. He came back and he was like, be with Israel. You know, that, that's how they pictured it. That's where they believed God's presence was. And so David, when he was returning with the ark to Jerusalem, you can imagine there would have been great shouts of open the gates. Here comes the Lord. You know, this, this is the Lord coming into Jerusalem. Now, usually gates, not many gates open upwards. They usually open outwards and that and interestingly i i found this commentary about where um actually martin luther actually translates this as open wide the portals that is give a hearty welcome to the lord that that's how it might have been translated now when we think of our own lives perhaps you can see the relevance of how jesus comes and knocks at the door of our hearts in revelation three twenty, jesus says behold i stand at the door knock if anyone hears my voice and opens the door I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. You see, in the Old Testament, they believed that God was with them if the ark was in their presence. But under the new promise, the Holy Spirit now dwells within believers. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 19 says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? And also in John fourteen twenty three, it says, Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. So now that God dwells within us. And, you know, Jesus comes and he knocks on the door of our heart. And you might ask, well, who is there? And he will reply, well, the King of glory. And one might even say, well, who is the King of glory? And he will reply, the Lord of hosts, the Lord almighty in battle. And he is mighty in battle because he has the victory over sin. Amen. Now, we also notice here in verses 9 and 10, they're almost identical in the way they're said. And why do we think this is repeated here? Well, I think it's really to emphasize the point of opening the gates to welcome the Lord into our lives. There's a real emphasis. And these verses are so glorious that God says them twice. Again, we see the word Selah at the end of the psalm. This is again a time to pause and reflect on these verses. So looking at this wonderful psalm and how it relates to David and when he wrote it and also how we can relate this to our own lives. Finally, I just want to look at one other aspect. And that is, I believe this is a wonderful messianic psalm. I love the way that David Guzik points out the three ways how the psalm points to Jesus. In verses 1 or 2, we see how the Father uses Jesus as an agent of God in the creation of all things. We can see this confirmed in the New Testament. Firstly, John chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. And just in case you're wondering, is this Jesus John is talking about? Let's just go to Colossians 1, verse 15 to 17. And we see Paul write about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him, all things were created that are on heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. So I think this confirms that Jesus is the creator that's mentioned in verse 2 of the psalm. A few weeks back, we read in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14 and 15, it says, 
Seeing then that we have a, a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but it was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Okay? So verses 3 to 6, when it talks about there, who may ascend into the mountain of Yahweh? Is this not referring to Jesus too? The answer of someone who has innocent hands and a pure heart. Does Jesus not have innocent hands and a pure heart? He's never lifted his soul to another. I, I think that perfectly describes who Jesus was. And yet, so he can ascend into the holy hill of God. Finally, verses 7 to 10, when it talks about opening the gates that the king of glory may come in. Surely this refers to Jesus too. For he is the Lord, strong and mighty in battle, and he is the Lord of hosts. I was reading a, a small commentary by John Kebble. He's an 18th century priest. And he says, why are these verses repeated twice? Was it meant to put in our mind that our Savior's ascension will be repeated also? It's interesting, isn't it? He does not have to die again because there remains no more sacrifice for sins. But he ascended and entered heaven the first time after his resurrection. And here it says that he is Yahweh, strong and mighty, mighty in battle, because it was after the cross that he defeated sin and death. But Jesus will descend to the earth again to judge, and afterwards will ascend again to his eternal kingdom. Notice the second time it is asked, who is the king of glory? And the answer this time is he is Yahweh of hosts, the Lord of hosts. The first time Jesus came to earth, he was alone. And he battled sin in the, on the cross. His second coming will involve him coming with his angels. In our last men's Bible study we were going through, we actually were in Second Thessalonians chapter 1. And verse 7 and 8 says, And to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, this time he's the Lord of hosts <laughs> coming back with his army, his angels. And what a glorious day that will be. So Jesus is the king of glory. And yet he humbled himself to die on the cross for our sins. And I would just say today, if you hear Jesus knocking at the door of your heart, the gate of your heart, and he wants to come in and dine with you and dwell with you. And if you do, you will share this everlasting kingdom with him. And you will have clean hands and a pure heart because of the forgiveness of your sins. And you can sing praises to the king of glory and his coming kingdom. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the, that your word is true. I thank you, Father, that your word is pure and righteous. And I do pray, Heavenly Father, today that it is such a glorious thing that we can stand before you and we can enter into the presence of God. We can enter into the holy hill because of what you did for us, Lord Jesus. Because of your precious cleansing blood, Lord Jesus, we now have clean hands and a pure heart. Help us, Lord, not to lift our souls to another, but to seek your face always, daily. 
And I pray for those, Father God, who maybe don't know you, who are struggling with these things and maybe think, I don't have clean hands. I don't have a pure heart. I pray that they would come before you in prayer, that they would come and seek your face in repentance, knowing that you are faithful, that you are just and true to forgive us of our sins if we confess before you, knowing that you will place in us a new heart. Oh, we just pray, Lord, that we would just continue to give you all the praise and glory and we pray for that day lord jesus when you return with as the lord of hosts so that we can ascend with you into your eternal everlasting doors forever and ever in jesus name i thank you amen